thinking about the phrase out of control. Out of control. It's an interesting phrase, right? Theologically, we know that God is always in complete control. Every atom in the universe is under his flawless management, his precise direction, his orchestration. God's control is never absent. God is never out of control. But we've all had those seasons when we feel that life is out of control. At least out of our control, right? Too much happens too quickly. There's too long a to-do list, too many problems, too many conflicts, too many bills to pay, too many social activities to attend. We feel like things are spinning out of control. Has feeling out of control ever led you to act out of control? Has feeling out of control ever led you to act out of control? Maybe when you feel out of control, you lash out at your spouses or children when you are overstressed. Maybe you become bitter, resentful towards people who make your life challenging. You just feel like they're adding brick upon brick upon you. Maybe when you're out of control, you flee stress by finding comfort in food or sleep, entertainment. When we are anxious, our hearts, our minds can eventually run riot, right? Our emotions spill out like a dam that has been broken, crushing those around us with the force of its impact. Our minds begin operating at lightning speeds, jumping from fear to unfounded conclusion and back again. This morning in Philippians, we're going to see how not to lose control of our hearts and minds when our life feels out of control. We're going to see this morning how not to lose control of our hearts and minds when our lives feel out of control. And this probably won't surprise you, the answer is not by getting in control, right? The church in Philippi, a city in ancient Greece, as you know, was facing circumstances that would make most people feel out of control. Their founding pastor was facing potential execution as Paul was waiting trial before crazy Nero. The church was going through persecution and facing problems with disunity within. Potentially, they were facing money problems as we know that churches in Macedonia had extreme poverty. There's problems with false teachers. Those are the kinds of things that make our lives feel out of control. Well, Paul's purpose in the book of Philippians was that the Philippians would continue to live worthy of the gospel, even if circumstances felt out of control. And we see that purpose statement, I think, most clearly in Philippians 1, verses 27 to 28. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or, or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction, but uh, for them, but a salvation for you, and that too from God. That's what Paul's concern was for them, that they'd be having these gospel lives worthy of the gospel, striving together, standing firm. So our current section that we've been in, Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, is kind of like an instruction manual in which Paul teaches with bullet point brevity what's essential to their standing firm, 
to their striving together, to this gospel-worthy living. We've seen that they were to live in harmony in the Lord, to think the same things in the Lord. We've seen that they were to rejoice in the Lord and not in their circumstances, that they were to be gentle in their responses to all men. The picture that Paul paints in these verses is one of self-controlled and Christ-centered responses to one another and to their circumstances. These responses are inseparable from and reinforced by what we're going to read this morning, Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, the Apostle Paul instructs the Philippians how to live self-controlled when life is out of control. How to live self-controlled when life is out of control. So I'm going to read Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. If your Bibles aren't already open, go ahead and open them there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He's talking back about this, pushing on for what is ahead and striving to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. And he goes forward with these bullet point instructions. I, I, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for preserving your word for us. And Lord, really what is at stake for the church of Philippi 2,000 years ago is the same at stake here at Cornerstone this morning. And it's about living worthy of the gospel, the gospel of Christ. This is about his glory. This is about you being glorified in him as we are transformed into the image of your son. Father, we want to be a church that is standing together, Lord that is striving together for the gospel. Father, we know that these commands here, um, while uh, quick and, and, and almost bullet point, uh, Lord, are, are hard uh, to apply. We are humbled by them. I trust that we have been humbled by them. And I think as we talk about our anxieties and the peace that you give, um, we have more of that ahead of us, Lord. Father, we thank you for the good news that this passage has this morning that there is a result that comes from our bringing our request to you, and that is peace from you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, uh, for myself, Lord, that we would have your peace in our lives uh, so that you would be brought glory, so that our hearts and minds would be under guard. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I mentioned a couple minutes ago we're going to See how to live self-controlled when life is out of control. How to live self-controlled when life is out of control. First, we're going to look at handling concern God's, concerns God's way. And second, we're going to see the results that follow from handling concerns God's way. And I'm going to repeat both of those. So first, we're going to see how to handle concerns God's way. How to handle concerns God's way in Philippians 4, 6. Paul begins by telling us what not to do. Don't be anxious. He says, be anxious for nothing. Now, we have to be clear here. This is a command from the Lord. 
And the very fact that being, not being anxious is a command is reason for us to hope. Because it is a command that God gives, we can obey this command through him. If the Lord Jesus Christ has set you free from slavery to sin, you don't have to be anxious. Your life does not have to be dominated by worry and fear. You do not have to be a slave to those kinds of feelings. The Greek word that Paul has for anxious here, it has a similar range of meaning to our English word care. And care is not a bad word, right? Care, care can be a very positive feeling, or it can be a crushing feeling. The word here that Paul used can be used for a healthy concern. And we saw that Paul used that of Timothy in Philippians 2.20. Paul writes the Philippians about how Timothy felt about them. He says, for I have no one else, in Philippians 2.20, no one else of kindred spirit who will, be, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. And he doesn't mean that Timothy is wrought with anxiety and can't sleep at night because he's so anxious for you. No, he's concerned. It is a good, healthy concern. But the word can also be used for a concern which becomes anxiety. When care goes too far, when that care becomes distracting, harassing, plaguing, like when you're being followed home by a dog and it won't leave, and as it gets closer and closer, you feel more and more nervous by it. That's how this anxiety, this worry can go. At least I feel that way. A healthy anxiety, a good care, becomes sinful anxiety when we forget our theology. We become anxious when we think like atheists. All anxiety is a reflection of some kind of idolatry, of worshiping a God who is less than God. And I know that that's a heavy thing to say, right? Because we have many concerns. But when that concern goes from a good care to an ungodly anxiety, there is a problem in our thinking where we have made God less than he is. Oswald Chambers uses the phrase unconscious blasphemy against God. That's what anxiety is, unconscious blasphemy. We don't ever intend to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take God off of his throne. I'm going to minimize him. But that is what we do when we become anxious. We have forgotten our theology. Now, the Philippians had much in their lives that they were concerned about. There, there was opposition for the gospel. They had unity problems. They were concerned about Paul's upcoming trial. Remember, they were concerned about Epaphroditus' health. None of these things are wrong things to be concerned about. We know that because Paul addresses all of them, right? I mean, it's not like he just sweeps them under the rug and doesn't mention them. Because Paul has this concern here, be anxious for nothing, I mean, we can't assume that they had an anxiety problem, but it's pretty easy to imagine ourselves in their situation saying, yeah, we would be struggling with anxiety as well. Perhaps they were tempted to be anxious, to forget, to apply the truth of God's character to the problems that they were facing. And that's what happens when we become anxious. We forget to apply the truth of God's character to the problems we're facing. In this command, and again, we have to emphasize this, this is, a, this is a command, right? It says, be anxious for nothing. And nothing means nothing. There's no exceptions to this command. You don't get any passes about 
Here's three things you can be anxious about. Will my job be cut in the recent buyout? What will my test results show? Do I have enough in savings? Will my children put their faith in Christ? The text says, be anxious for nothing. I hope that doesn't sound unsympathetic. But the passage is clear. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 34, so do not worry about tomorrow. Anxiety is not a justifiable response to any concern, no matter how out of control life seems. There are justifiable concerns, but not justifiable anxiety. Justifiable concerns, but not justifiable anxiety. So what then are we to do when we feel anxious? Ignoring or suppressing that feeling is not God's way. Thinking positive thoughts or repeating an optimistic mantra is not God's way. Singing Hakuna Matata, oh, don't worry about a thing, is not God's way. Fortunately, I'm not going to try to do either of those things. Merely kind of throwing ourselves into exercise or picking up a hobby so that we're more distracted from our problems is not God's way. None of these require submission to God. None of these require dependence upon Him. They don't require any filtering of our concern through the lens of God's word. Those all fall short of a godly response to not being anxious, I mean, to to anxiety. So instead, Paul tells us what to do. He told us what not to do as we handle concern in God's way. We're not to be anxious. He tells us what to do. Let your requests be made known. We see that in the second half of verse 6. Let your requests be known. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The specific command is, you know, the command portion is to let your request be made known to God. The command is not to stop caring. The command is to present, is to care enough to present your request to God. And I love that idea there. It's not to stop caring about any of those things. It's to care truly, to care enough to bring your request before God. And we're going to see that this is work bringing our request before God. That there's a lot in our remaining sinful flesh that doesn't want to bring our request to God. That it is easier not to. That doing so requires humility and submission and faith. So Paul begins by telling what we should make requests for. And he says in that second half of verse 6, but in everything. In everything. This is all-encompassing. It's as inclusive as the command against anxiety was exclusive. Right? We're not to be anxious about anything. Instead, but in everything. In every situation. In every circumstance. Every cause for concern is to become a prompt to pray. Every opportunity for anxiety, I know that we have many, it's even foolish to even try to name them all, is an occasion to appeal to our Heavenly Father. So instead of stifling and smothering our worries, our requests are are to be made known to God in everything. So he talks us, tells us, Paul tells us, that we are to let a request be made known for everything. He next tells us how we should make these requests. And he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And this is part of how we should make our 
request. These two words here, prayer and and supplication, there's some overlap in their meaning in the Greek. The word translated prayer here is always used of talking to God. It's, It's kind of a general word for prayer. The word supplication is a more specific word that emphasizes someone of lowly status going in need to someone who's an authority. Some of your Bibles may have the word petition there, so supplication or petition. Now, unlike the word prayer, the word supplication or petition can be used of humans. So it can be used of a human going to a judge to ask favor or, 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 or a child going to their parent, petitioning them. For something, But there's an overlap in, in these words. And I don't think that Paul is really trying to give them different kinds of tools, kind of like different kinds of golf clubs in your golf thing, whatever that is. What's that thing? I don't know, that golf-carrying thing. I don't play golf. So that's not what he's doing. He's not saying, hey, you know, you should pull out the, the petition here. Or really, no, this one is going to be best affected by prayer. He's just kind of giving a broad overview in all kinds of prayer. Taken together, these prayer and supplication or petition emphasizes together a needy, humble posture in worshipful prayer. Not of our body, but of our heart. Not coming to God with demands. Instead, prayer and supplication, worshiping God, humbling ourselves, exalting God's independence and embracing our dependence, confirming God's superiority and confessing our submission. And the more I meditate on these words, the more I see how essential they are to our peace. See, Paul is not prohibiting a a quick, on-the-go request made to God. I mean, like nothing here says that that's wrong. And there's times, and we even see them in the Bible, as Nehemiah just offers up a quick prayer. But Paul is advocating an attitude of prayer that joyfully reflects on God's being God, that he is exalted and we are humbled before him. God is sovereign. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He has the power to hear your prayers and to grant your requests. That is what we do when we go before him in prayer. Now further, Paul describes how we should do this. He says everything by prayer and supplication, I think showing some of the sobriety with which we pray, with thanksgiving. Now, Paul isn't reminding us of our manners. Like, we remind our uh, daughters when we go to Trader Joe's, and I don't know if your kids ever do this, or, um, you know, they, they find the stuffed animal in Trader Joe's, and if you do find the stuffed animal, you can go to the uh, cash register person, the, the uh, cashier, and say, hey, we found the animal, we know where the monkey is, or whatever, and then your kids gets a sucker, right? Well, often, we will remind our children to say thank you. Or your child says thank you. So this is not what Paul's doing here. Just kind of tack on a thank you at the end. See, thanksgiving is not just a little seasoning added to make our prayers just a little bit more savory to God. It's not a, it's not a little salt to our prayers. Thanksgiving is an essential ingredient to our prayers, like flour to a cake or cheese to pizza. 
Some of you have tried pizza without cheese. As a pattern, if our requests are pleasing to the Lord, they will be offered with thanksgiving. And again, I'm not making any rules here. This is about patterns. So maybe you're going to a meeting and you offer a quick prayer to say, God, I'm nervous and I need your help. Fantastic. But in the general pattern, our, our prayers are to be made in, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That is the way we're to make our request. So why is thanksgiving so important? Why is this an essential ingredient to our prayers when we are turning away from anxiety and instead making our request known to God? When we thank God, we demonstrate our submission to him in the circumstances he's decreed. When we thank him, we demonstrate our submission to him in the circumstances he's decreed. We can't thank him if we're shaking our fist at him. When we thank God, we confess our faith in his goodness, in his righteousness, that he does nothing wrong. We can't thank God and be imputing his character at the same time. When we thank God, we submit ourselves to his wisdom, and we humble ourselves before his so sovereignty. And again, this is why this command is... Is we're, there's so much joy in this command if we know the Lord Jesus Christ because we can obey this. Without him, we couldn't do this, right? To bring God thankfulness in those, in those concerns that just kind of eat at our hearts if we let them go, right? Those deep down concerns that turn into anxiety. How can we thank him for those kinds of things that are tough to get out, tough to deal with? I say like to get out of our mind, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not trying to just get them out of our mind. We're trying to bring our request to the Lord. See, when we thank God, we just we, we show such trust and humility and confidence. That's why we need to offer our request with thanksgiving. We must not make our requests with grumbling or distrust. The Israelites in the wilderness were fine with making God requests. But they were always angry. They were always disgruntled. They were always looking in the rearview mirror, looking at their old way of life, forgetting the slavery that they'd been rescued from, believing that God was holding back his goodness from them. They were not requests of faith. They were just grumbling with God. We should be thankful to God, and we could go on forever what we should be thankful for. To go to him and just even being thankful for his everyday goodness to us. The homes that we have and the food that we had to eat and the health that we have. For the families that God has given us. For the specific blessings we have in Christ Jesus. For the forgiveness that we have. For our redemption in Christ Jesus. For our new life. For our freedom from slavery to sin. We should be thankful for the promises given to us to never leave us or forsake us, to bring to completion that which he began in us. We have so much to be thankful for. And you see, as you start talking about these things, it's a different kind of request we're bringing to God. Right? This is a request that's, that's really, it's a humbling request, but it's a request that's, that's, that's washed in good news. Right? This is making a request to God as he is in Scripture. We must be thankful for all those blessings, but we have to be thankful as well for the circumstances in which we are tempted to be anxious. One commentator says in Thanksgiving, anxiety is resolved by the deliberate acceptance of the worrying circumstance as something which an all-wise, 
all-loving and all-sovereign God has appointed. And I'll, I'll read that again. It's powerful. In Thanksgiving, so when we thank God, anxiety is resolved by the deliberate acceptance we're choosing to accept the worrying circumstance of something which an all-wise, all-loving, and all-sovereign God has appointed. This is the atmosphere that we're to bring our request before him. This is why our flesh doesn't like bringing requests before him. This is hard. This requires submission to him. This requires an accurate view of ourselves. This requires dependency, humility. If God could do you any more good than he has at this moment, he would not be God. Okay, I'm going to let you think about that. I'm going to say it again because I've been thinking about this. If God could do you, I mean, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, if, if God could do you any more good than he has at this moment, he would not be God. And really, that's playing out what we learned about God second hour last week, that he is good. He does good. He's 100% good. He doesn't reserve some goodness. He's all good. He is as good, if you are in Christ Jesus, he is as good to you right now as he ever could be and he ever will be. Now, he will have different blessings in store for you. But he is good to you. That is humbling us, right? To be thankful to God for that. Like, like we have to say, you're God and I'm not. You're wise and I'm not. You're best and I'm not. Listen, and, and this is what Ben read earlier in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He is not stingy. I mean, the, the, the extent of generosity he's lavish on us in Christ Jesus. There's no good he's holding back from you today. So that liberates you to thank him and to trust him and to bring your requests to him. We've been learning how to bring these requests. We learned what to bring them forward, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And that's the uh, command portion. Let your requests be made known to God. One commentator describes these requests as, as the specific things you ask for, rather than the act or the form of the prayer. So a request is the item, right? It is the 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 thing you're writing on, please, Lord, do this. It's not just the act. It's a definite and precise petition. Another commentator says, request responds to God's kindly question, what do you want me to do for you? And isn't that sweet? We have a father who asks that. He wants us to know what we want him to do for us. It's good news. Now, making these requests, asking God for these specifics requires us, one, to ask ourselves, to ask ourselves, what do we want God to do for us in this situation? And a lot of times in our panicness, we don't, we don't ever think that. We're just like, Lord, help me. And that's a fine request, Lord, help me. But, but can we get more concrete with that? In, in, in this thing that you're concerned about. Well, what exactly do I want God to do? Do I just want God to remove this? Do I want to learn that God's grace is sufficient for me? Do I want God to be glorified? What do I want God 
to do. So what is the specific request I'm bringing to God? And two, it requires us to examine if what we want God to do is in line with his glory and in submission to his will. So is, is what I'm asking him about him or is it about me? Is it about his glory or about my glory? Is it about his fame or just taking away something unpleasant from me? And it may be both of those, but it requires us to at least, you know, when we bring a request to him, instead of just saying, oh, God, I feel horrible. Well, okay, but what are you asking God for? Panicking is easy. Worrying is natural to the unregenerate man, to that flesh that remains in us until Christ returns. Out-of-control hearts, I think, often offer up shock and prayers. And that's good. You're still praying, right? But when you bring a request, this requires that we apply our theology to our desire. That we filter what we'd like to happen through the sieve of God's word, through the sifter of God's word. Making requests requires us to seek the Father's kingdom, to seek his glory, that we submit our requests to his will, not my will, but your will be done, that we pray in Jesus' name in accordance with his character, that we abide in Christ as, and that his word abides in us so that his word is so saturating us that our prayer request is being transformed by God's revelation. That we pray in faith, believing that what we're praying for is so in line with God's word. We're, we're submitted. It may not be what God wants. So you see how requests are so different here? And we're going to see in a minute what this effect has. Really, what Paul is saying is that as we bring our request to God, you are going to be transformed. Right? Bringing our request to God in God's way is a transforming activity. It is the opposite of anxiety. How different is this kind of bringing requests to God than so many of our panicked prayers? And again, I'm not really criticizing a panicked prayer. I have them every Sunday before preaching. But it's good for me to think in that panicked prayer, what, what do I want? What do I want your name to be glorified? It's, it's different, and there is peace with that. Now, Paul says to let your request be made known to God. And of course, we all know that God knows the requests we're going to make. But God in his goodness wants us to cast our anxiety upon him. Making known your request is an act of humble faith. It's an expression of your confidence in your father's care. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Making known your request, not, 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 not stifling them, but making them known is an act of submission. It's an expression of your willingness to submit to what God has decreed. It's so interesting, and a, and a brother shared this last week. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you, follows 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. That is what casting your cares upon him requires, humility before him. And that's what happens when we make our requests known. We humble ourselves before him. We cast our cares upon him. And I don't know if I've ever read this phrase before, but it's a good one. We have a sovereign father. Like, that's a cool phrase, right? God is our sovereign father. Nothing is outside of our Father's control. And that's what happens when we make known our request to Him. We have the pleasure, the joy of bringing 
our request to our sovereign Father who loves us. Matthew 7.11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what's good to those who ask him? We're good to our kids. We like giving them blessings. It was Nora's birthday. We like giving her gifts. We're sinners. God is not sinful. He's perfect. He gives good gifts to his children. Paul ends the command in verse 6 by reminding us to whom we should be making known these requests, be made known to God. Paul could have simply said pray. It would have been understood. But he says pray to God. He is the one that we bring our request to. The answer to our anxiety is not finding a psychologist with a couch. I don't know if they use couches anymore, but it's not just finding someone to talk to. Talking it out is not bringing your request to God. We are invited, no, we're commanded to bring our request to God who is wise and merciful and gracious and sovereign and infinite. And doing so reminds us that God is big enough to do something about them. And that brings us to the second part this morning. We looked at how to handle concerns God's way. Now in verse 7, we're going to see the result of handling concerns God's way. The result of handling concerns God's way. Paul lets us know with certainty what God will accomplish in the hearts and minds of those who bring their request to him. The result is guaranteed. This follows. Verse 7. And the peace of God. This is a consecutive and here. This logically follows. This is going to happen to you as you bring your request to him in the way that Paul describes. So let's first look at what this peace of God is. That is the result of handling concerns God's way. So let's look at the definition of the peace of God in the beginning of verse 7. 7a. And it says, and the peace of God. This peace is a very broad word. It's, it's not just a subjective feeling of peace. It's more overall uh, a wholeness of being, harmony and well-being, uh, uh, being at right relationships with God and others. It's, it's well-being. The peace comes from God. It's the peace of God. Only God is the giver of true peace. Peace is not to be found in exercise or essential oils. It's not to be found in medication or marijuana. It's not to be found in bank accounts or the extent of your resume. It's not to be found in quiet nights at home or walks on the beach. The peace of God is not the passing tranquility that the world strives after. It's not the passing tranquility that the world tries to fabricate with pharmaceutics, pharmaceuticals. That's not the peace of God. As we make our requests to God, we are reminded of the peace that we have from God. As we make our requests to God, we are reminded of the peace we have from God. See, the only ground that we have for bringing any request to God is God's mercy to us and his son, Jesus Christ. Bringing requests to God is that it's most fundamental a Christ-centered activity right? We are in the throne room of God, bringing our request before the infinite holy God only because of his grace to us in Jesus Christ. Without the sacrifice of his son, our prayers would never be heard. I mean, we would never want to pray to God. We'd be forever shaking our fists upon him. And then the only thing that God would do in response would be to judge us. The fact that we can bring our request to God 
is in itself, it is a gospel-centered activity. It is remembering all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. When our hearts bring our request before God in this prayerfulness and this supplication, in this thanksgiving to our Heavenly Father, our hearts are refreshed by the gospel of peace. Like, that's what we need to think that we're doing when, our bring, when we bring our request before God. That is the reality that's going on. That is the foundation of our peace. So are you bringing your request to God with a God whom you are at peace with? Are you at peace with your Creator? Are you at peace with your creator? Do you know this freedom that you can go into your Father's presence, the infinite holy creator that you've sinned against? Do you know that peace that you can go into his presence and say, Father, please help me for your glory? Is that the peace that you have through the Lord Jesus Christ? Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you been made right with God through faith? Is Jesus Christ your only hope? Do you know the freedom of bringing your request to God who's no longer angry at with you, who is no longer your enemy, but now you are at peace with? There is hope for you in Jesus Christ. If you do not have that peace, then turn to him. Turn to him because Jesus Christ will give you that peace. It is only through him that we can be justified with our Father. And then this is the peace of God that you get to enjoy for eternity. Now this peace that we have from God is objectively grounded in the gospel. But it is also subjectively experienced by us. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and I do think it is at least in part, it's grounded in the gospel, but it is at least in part a feeling of peace. The opposite of anxiety. Peace is knowing that the unlimited, omnipotent, and flawlessly wise master of the universe who has reconciled us to himself through his son has our best in mind, has heard our requests, and will grant you everything that is best for you. Right? That is the foundation of our peace. God's grace is wide open to you. William Hendrickson says that peace is the smile of God reflected in the soul of the believer. It is the heart's calm after Calvary's storm. Now, we may not experience the fullness of this peace as we battle anxiety, but you will enjoy some of this peace. And I have again and again in the most refreshing ways, and you will too, as you bring your request before God in this way. This peace is felt as we bring our request to God through Christ Jesus. God, who's greater than time and space, has welcomed us, has accepted us, and has commanded us to come forward with our request. We go to him in peace. He won't slay us. He won't cast us out of his courts because of our unworthiness. We do not have to bring a sacrifice to be welcomed. We don't have to bring a lot of promises to do good in the future. We come boldly because of our intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can come 
gladly admitting we are out of control, but you are in control, God. We don't know what, it's, what is best, but it is impossible for you, God, to do anything but the best. And I'm going to read Romans 8.32 again for the third time this morning. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely gives us all things? God's grace to you in Christ Jesus is wide open. So that is that peace. It is grounded in the objective reality of the gospel. But it is also subjectively felt as we enjoy our relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, knowing we can bring our request to him. We can see what the extent of this peace is next in the middle of verse 7. We define that peace of God. We can look at the extent of this peace in the middle of verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or all understanding, all mind, all thinking is the word there. The peace that God gives surpasses all human thinking. Our thinking and our reasoning is meant to be dependent upon God and not exercised independently of God. But all anxiety is a symptom of independent thinking. When we try to get things under control, when we try to solve things our way, that is when we feel anxiety. When we know we're out of control and it scares us. See, when we are anxious, we are confronted by the finitude of our minds. Okay? When we're anxious, we are confronted by the smallness of our minds, by the limitedness of our minds. We're trying to predict and plan and resolve and solve and answer, right? We're using our limited resources to say, I'm going to make all of this right, is what we do when we're anxious. Now, some of that, those activities aren't wrong in themselves. God made us in his image. It's okay to plan and to prepare and to try to solve problems. But your mind can't bring you God's peace. Your mind can't bring you God's peace. You need a bigger resource than our finite minds. We need one that surpasses our comprehension. Imagine a man in the grocery store, and he's trying to pay for his groceries. It was a big bill. And all he has is a pocket full of change. No matter how many times he counts that change, he can't come up with enough to pay that bill. His resources are finite. He's limited. He tries and tries and tries to recount and recount. And isn't that what anxiety feels like? There's a line behind you. It's like a bad dream, right? You're like, I just can't pay for this. Well, imagine then a man comes with a much greater resources. He has a giant wad of crash, cash, and he says, I'll pay your bill. You just have to ask. You just have to ask. I've got all the resources that you need. That's what it's like to have the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Our minds betray us in our pursuit of peace. We feel out of control because we come up short. We need the superior, unlimited, excelling peace that God gives to those who come to him with their request. We need God's peace, not our own reasoning. Peace comes from God, not by becoming God's. His peace surpasses our finite understanding. That is the extent of this peace. We don't have to be worried if we can't pay that bill using that analogy, or whatever the problem is we can't solve. The peace of God surpasses our understanding. 
we've seen that definition of that peace, the extent of that peace passes our understanding, and we also see the effect of that peace. And this is, 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 is really, to me, was fascinating, is where Paul goes, goes next with this. The effect of this peace of God. He says at the end of verse 7, that this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard is a, a military term, as you'd expect. The soldiers that protect a city from attack. Philippi was guarded by a Roman garrison. So the Philippians would know automatically what Paul was talking about. They've seen the Roman soldiers that was protecting the city who were on guard. Imagine the guards on top of the city walls, on the lookout for enemies who are trying to, to, to infiltrate or to influence, to subvert, to overthrow. The residents inside the city are kept safe. What does Paul say? By, say? By the peace of God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who's doing this guarding here? The peace that God gives. The peace that God gives is guarding the residents of your city. And what are, what are these residents? Your hearts and minds. Your hearts and minds are being guarded by the peace of God you have after you bring your request to him in humble submission and thankfulness. The word for heart here is um, describing the a whole person with maybe a, a emphasis on the feeling part, on the choosing part, the, the, the part that, that, that plans and, and, and chooses. Mind is maybe focusing more on the mental aspects, but really, as you look at the, how those words in, in Scripture, uh, they're tough to separate. And really, Paul, by putting them together, he wants to talk about your whole inner person, your heart and your mind, the, your whole inner life. These are the internal resources that God has given you. What, what, what makes your choices, how you feel, how you think. Our hearts and minds needed to be guarded. They need to be guarded. When our hearts and minds are not guarded by God's peace, they run amok. It's like just letting your dogs free to run the neighborhood or to let the horses out of the stalls when there's no fences. You just let them, let them wild. You can, and you've all felt that chaos when we are not bringing our requests before God. And I would say when you're not controlling your thoughts, and that's part of it, right? We have, and Paul's going to talk about our thinking. Next in verse 8. But when we don't have our hearts and Mind's guarded. I've been thinking it's it's like a scene from Alice in Wonderland, right? It's like it's like that that happy and birthday party, that, that that tea party, or 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 the or the Queen of Hearts and all of her madness, right? That's how we feel sometimes. It's just like total chaos. Our hearts and minds need to be under guard by the peace of God. Our cares our doubts, our fears, our panics, when we start lying about God's character, when we start impugning him, all kinds of sinful thinking and sinful acting is the overflow of unguarded hearts and minds. When our hearts and minds run riot, we stop rejoicing in the Lord, as Paul's talked about. We lose our unity in the Lord. We lose our gentleness. The resources that God has given us for his glory, when they're not under guard, we let them revolt against him in a bid for the thrones of our heart. It's kind of like, like it's just a fun house here, so we're just going to let, uh, you know, it's kind of like that 
island that Pinocchio goes to, right, where it's just madness. Everyone turns into donkeys. And sometimes that feels that way in our hearts when we let our, our minds and our hearts just go wild. And we see all kinds of sin coming out as we do that. See, we need the faculties that God has given us, the inner man, our hearts and minds, under guard of the peace of God so that we'll keep seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, so that our hearts and minds are tools to be used for his glory, directed according to his kingdom purposes, submitted to him and saying, Lord, use my mind for your glory. Use my heart for your glory, so that we live in harmony, so that we grieve in the Lord, so that we rejoice in the Lord, so that we let our gentle spirits be known to all men, so that we live worthy of the gospel. Paul ends by saying, in Christ Jesus, all come will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, there's no being guarded without the Lord Jesus Christ. Without our soul being anchored to Christ, we have no peace with God. But in Christ Jesus, our hearts and minds are submitted to Christ so that we can live worthy of the gospel. And this is really that good news that comes from not being anxious. When we obey and say, Lord, I refuse by your grace to be anxious, and instead I'm going to obey by submitting my request in this attitude of prayer, in this attitude of dependence, in this attitude of thankfulness, seeking your kingdom, seeking your glory, trying to pray according to your will, with your word rooted in my heart, abiding there, we enjoy God's peace, and it guards our hearts and minds. And this is how we, when we are tempted to feel out of control, when life feels out of control, we are in control. Because our hearts and minds are guarded by the peace of God. When our lives are out of control, we sometimes dream of being in a situation in which we don't have to bring our request to God. And I don't know if, you, if you've ever done that. You know, maybe it's gone fishing dream. Maybe it's, you know, mine when I get kind of down and too much anxiety. I find myself walking past a comic store and saying, I would really love to go get some comic books right now. Why? Because that's what I did when I was a kid. I just want to be free from worry. That's not bringing requests to God. I don't know if uh, any of you grew up uh, remembering the commercials for the luxurious bath product. Yeah, there you go. I uh, found one of these commercials online from the 70s. The traffic, the boss, the baby, the dog that does it, Calgon, take me away. I don't know if any of you remember these commercials for Calgon, this bath soap product. It's all very luxurious, I hear. And automatically, the woman is zapped to this idyllic, tranquil, and problem-free world of a bubble bath. For me, it used to be a comic store. I don't know what yours is, right? But it's this place where we imagine where we reign. It's our own little kingdom where we have no problems and we're completely in control. Often our prayers are kind of like that. Lord, bring me to a place where I don't need you. Right? Bring me to the perfect situation where I don't have to bring any requests to you. Where I can use my faculties of mind and heart for me rather than for you. We never think that way through, but often what we're thinking is, I just want my own little kingdom, God. 
We all wish at times we could escape our circumstances. We could find a place where we don't feel out of control and where we don't respond in out of control ways, where we don't lash out, where we don't feel our stomachs sick with anxiety. When circumstances are out of control, we need a peace that is superior to our understanding, a peace that will guard our hearts and minds. God gives that peace to those who humbly, independently, and thankfully bring their requests before God through his Son. God may or may not change your circumstances, but he will definitely give you a peace that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This passage guarantees it. We bring our requests before him the way he requires. Let's pray together. My Father, we um, confess that we often crave our own little kingdoms. We forget that you have a great purpose in this world, accomplishing your glory. We forget that your grace is sufficient for us in our weaknesses and that at times you choose to leave us in circumstances that from all accounts look out of control. Father, we confess that we are slow to bring our request before you. We confess that we are slow at times uh, to think dependently. We like being independent and solving our own problems. Father, and all of this is a huge uh, lapse in forgetting the gospel, in forgetting your grace to us, in forgetting the peace that we already have with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for your goodwill. We thank you, Father, that uh, you don't hold back good from your children. We thank you, Father, that you make us needy and that you bring our request to you. And in, um, in reality, the situations that you have orchestrated are your very good tools to make us humble, to make us bring our request before you, that you teach us in the hard times to be thankful. You teach us to be humble and needy. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness um, in, in allowing things to be out of control and not a, allowing some kind of Calgon to take us away, but you, you, you leave us in a place of rawness. I know some, some of us have experienced just, just huge uh, challenges this past year. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the gift of peace to those who bring their request to you through your Son. And Father, I do pray that you would protect us um, Help us to turn from anxiety and to bring our request to you so that uh, our hearts and minds would be guarded, that we would think truth, that we would respond in ways that bring glory to you, that we would see a greater purpose for your kingdom and for your glory, that we would align our purposes with your purposes, that we would not be, be lashing out or seeking to escape, uh, but that we would have such a, a knowledge of the peace we have with you through your Son that we would bring our request before you. Lord, I do pray for those who have not yet known this peace. I pray, Father, that they would be justified through faith in your Son, putting all of their hope in his death on their behalf and his resurrection so that they can have life. In Jesus' name, amen.